Amen. May we be those who hold fast to that which is good and abstain from every form of evil. If you have a Bible, please open with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And we'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter 4 verses 1 through 6. And we're looking at this under the title of Holy Living in a Hostile World. Holy Living in a Hostile World. As you think back in 1 Peter, going back to chapter 2 verse 11, we've kind of been in this section, in this heading where he talks about how believers are to live before a pagan world, so that we might point them to Christ. And we come to this section now, and it's kind of the bookend summary. This paragraph is the summary of what we've been looking at going back to chapter 2, verse 11, how we live before the world. And as we've studied this epistle, I think we kind of see that Peter has this unique knack to cram a lot of truth into a few verses and he does it in a way that can sometimes be a little bit confusing on the surface he was an uneducated man and his writing indicated such and and this text before us is no different in that there are some things that he writes some ways that he writes things that might be a little bit confusing on the surface but as we try to do we want to see the the sketch the outline of the big picture and then we fill in the details in light of that context so with that we want to read our text and then we will ask the lord's help and his blessing in our time and then we will begin so this is first peter chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 i ask that you please stand with me if you're able as we read god's word This is holy and inspired scripture. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'll ask that you join me in a word of prayer. Father, we come to you now, and we do praise you. We worship you, Lord. You are great and greatly to be praised. You are the Almighty, the King of creation. And we desire, as those who are made new in Christ, we desire that all that is in us praise and honor and glorify you. Lord, what wonder it is that we who were far off, that we who were dead in trespasses and sins have been made alive together with Christ. 
that through no merit and no deserving of our own, we have been clothed in his righteousness. We have been washed and purified in his blood. Lord, we have been called out and set apart from the world so that we might be holy and blameless and in doing so that we might point the world to Christ and to the great transformation that comes when he takes over, when your Holy Spirit takes residence in a soul and in a heart and a life. So Lord, in line with that desire, we ask that you would teach us through your word. Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts that are hearts and minds that are attentive and prepared and eager and humbled and ready to receive the truth. Lord, it is a supernatural work for you to write your word upon the hearts of men and to lead us into the truth and to lead us to repentance and to lead us in sanctification. That is a work that only you can accomplish. It is work that you must accomplish, a work that you promise to accomplish. So we pray, Lord, as we look to your word, that you would sanctify us in the truth. Pray, Lord, that the word spoken would be clear and that our hearts would be, we would just be eager to receive the truth. Lord, what a great privilege and what a great freedom it is to be able to gather together to worship you with your people. Help us to not take it for granted. Help us to focus our hearts and our minds in this time now. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move in power, that you would break down strongholds of sin Pray that you would breathe new life into souls that are dead. Pray that in all things that we would see Christ high and lifted up. And we might glorify his name more and more. Lord, you are worthy to be praised with our every thought and deed. We ask that you would accomplish all that you intend to do in and through us this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So Peter, again, he sets out in, in this section to exhort his readers to holy living. He tells us to follow Christ's example and to submit to the will of God, even in the midst of a hateful and evil and carnal world. He contrasts the life of believers against the lives of those who are not in Christ. He shows us what those lives look like, and he speaks a little bit to the eternal end, the, the ultimate outcome of those two lives, condemnation for those who are not in Christ, and life in the Spirit, eternal life in the Spirit, in Christ, with Christ in heaven, for those who are indeed in him. Ultimately, we are called to follow in the steps of our master. Christ suffered in the flesh, and we are called to follow after him, to die to self and to live for Christ. We know 
based on the life of Christ and the authority and the teaching of Scripture, that when we do that, when we die to self and live for Christ, the world will hate you. The world hates those who pursue righteousness because righteous living shines a bright light on unholy, unrighteous, carnal, fleshly things. Those who do the deeds of darkness desire to keep their deeds of darkness in the darkness so they can continue to live in that carnal, fleshly state without shame being brought upon them for their shameful actions and decisions. So Peter's charged us is to arm ourselves with the purpose of Christ. Arm yourself with the purpose of Christ to suffer like Christ did while you pursue holy living and you proclaim the truth of the gospel and the transformation that the gospel brings. So to just kind of give us a singular purpose, it's that we arm ourselves with the same purpose of Christ. That's our focus today to to see how we do that, how we arm ourselves with the purpose of Christ and pursue holy living, a life that proclaims the gospel. Now you may notice as we've worked through this epistle pretty, pretty straightforward without many interruptions, Peter talks a lot about holiness. It's almost as though he is a broken record. Looking at this, I started thinking why, why are we returning kind of the same ideas, the same idea of holiness? And that's because holiness is what matters to God. Think back to chapter 1. The Lord says, be holy just as I am holy. And so Peter then says, we're going to flesh that out. We're going to consider how you live a holy life. And in this section, it's how you live a holy life before the world. You live a holy life before the world by submitting to authorities in a right and God-honoring way, by following in the steps of Christ, by living within your home as husband and wife in a way that honors and makes much of Christ. You live together in harmony and in love and in sympathy and like-mindedness while you pursue holiness. You be holy because God calls you to be holy, and so As we have thought about this idea for really several weeks now, ask the question, what is Peter getting at then in this? What angle is he coming at holiness from in this text? And I think it will become clear that he's talking about being holy and being separated and being set apart from the world. Because when you're holy, when you live righteously, you will look different from the world. And Peter tells us when you do that, the world is going to hate you. They will malign you. They will come up against you and attack you. So as we think about the calling to holiness in this text today, let's focus our minds on how we pursue holiness and pursue being separate from. That's that's really what holy means, to be set apart. So let's think about being set apart from the world. And we'll do that beginning in verses 1 and 2 by looking at this idea of being armed with the purpose of Christ. Peter says, therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will 
of God. So we consider arming ourselves with the purpose of Christ. Peter begins by reminding us what Christ did. He says, therefore, Christ has suffered in the flesh. It is a statement of fact. Christ suffered the ultimate type of suffering in the flesh, that is, death. And even that ultimate suffering in the flesh was, doesn't really even describe what Christ suffered because he suffered death while bearing the holy wrath of God for the sins of the elect that he would redeem. But Peter starts off by reminding us that we are being called to do something that our Savior has done. He has walked this path. We don't have a high priest who doesn't sympathize with our weaknesses and struggles because Christ has suffered in the flesh. He has paid the ultimate price. He laid down his life and took the punishment for sin. So when we're called to suffer, dear friends, when the Lord calls you to suffer, know that he's not calling you to anything beyond what Christ already did. Think back to chapter 2, verse 21. We've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. That's the purpose of life in Christ, to follow in his steps. The purpose of life in Christ is to be conformed to his image by following in his steps. Paul would say this is that, that Christ is being formed in you. As you walk through suffering, you are being conformed to the image of Christ because he is being built up in your heart and that displays itself in your life. We must count the cost of discipleship. We must consider the cost, we must count the cost, and then we must count it an honor to be considered worthy to suffer with our Savior. Think back to Acts chapter 5, right? When those early disciples, they're thrown into prison for preaching Christ, they say, we can't obey men, we must obey God. They're beaten, they're flogged, and then they're released. Acts 5.41 says that they then went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were imprisoned, threatened, and beaten, and they went away rejoicing because they knew what their Savior had walked through, and they knew that in that they were being united to Christ. They were being conformed to Christ. Christ was being built up in them. So when we walk with Christ in the world, we must expect to suffer as he did. But don't stop at that point of expecting to suffer, but prepare yourself. Ask the Lord to prepare your heart and take steps to prepare your heart that you might be able to rejoice when you suffer. That you might be able to count it all joy when you face those various trials. That when the hardships and the persecutions of life fall upon you, you rejoice because you know that walking through these things in the proper way will glorify and make much of the Savior. So count the cost and then count it all joy. 
So we remember the victorious suffering of Christ. That's really the first step to holy living in this hostile and evil world is that you remember the suffering of Christ and you remember that he was victorious in it. But then Peter gives us specific instruction. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same purpose. Arm yourselves. To arm yourself is, is a military type term. It's, it's like when a soldier is equipped for battle. He's given the proper things to defend himself and the proper things to carry out his other duties. Weapons of attack, weapons of offense. He is equipped and armed and prepared to go fight a battle. And dear friend, if you are a saint, you are also a soldier for Christ. So arm yourself, prepare for battle. Take on the, the mantle of Christ, walk by the Spirit, wage war with spiritual weapons because spiritual warfare will be waged against you. So arm yourself. Take up spiritual weapons. But notice Peter says very specifically, arm yourself also with the same purpose. Arm yourself with the purpose of Christ. Arm yourself with the purpose of suffering as Christ did. What was the purpose of Christ in life? He emptied himself of divine privilege. He learned obedience. He grew up in obedience. He lived righteously only to go to the cross to bear the Father's wrath in our place. So what was the purpose of Christ? His purpose, the purpose with which we are to arm ourselves, was the purpose of accomplishing the Father's plans. Christ the Son was submitted to the will and the plan and the purpose of the Father. He suffered death, he suffered in the flesh, because that was the purpose for which he was sent to the world. He came to die for sin. He came to fulfill the Father's plans. Arm yourself. Ready yourself. Take upon yourself the same purpose, the same mind, and the same will of Christ. Arm yourself with the goal to accomplish the Father's plans for your life, however great or however small they may be. Arm yourself with the purpose of being faithful. How do you do that? How do you arm yourself with the purpose of Christ? Consider Robert Murray McShane's famous words, It is not great talents that God blesses so much as great likeness to Jesus. That is the one whom the Lord will use. He would say in that same letter to a fellow minister, Remember that you are God's sword, his instrument, a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name in great measure according to the purity and perfections of the instrument will be the success. In great measure according to the purity and the holiness and the perfection of the instrument that God uses will be the success. God uses those who are like Christ. If you are to arm yourself with the purpose of fulfilling God's plans for your life, you must pursue holiness. You must pursue Christ-likeness. You must put away sin and be a holy instrument in the hands of an almighty God to use as he pleases.
Why do we arm ourselves? And we, we talked about how, so now why do we arm ourselves with this purpose? Look back to the text, verse 1. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Arm yourself with the purpose of Christ. Arm yourself with the purpose to suffer in the flesh because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Again, what does it mean to suffer in the flesh? It means to die. Uh, That's kind of what Peter is getting at when he talks about Christ suffering in the flesh. So arm yourself with that same purpose to even give your life for the plans and purposes of of the Lord, and know that when you do that, if the Lord calls you home as you serve Him, you cease from sin. That's the great end of the Christian life. It's the great goal of the believer is to cease from sin, to be made perfect, to be made holy. We strive for that purpose in life, and we know that the Lord will complete it in eternity. We long for that day. How the sinfulness and the suffering of life makes us long for heaven. Just consider all the hardship, all, all the weight of, of sin, the, the weight of having to repent daily that makes you long for heaven. But dear friends, don't long passively. Don't long passively. Peter says that you live the rest of your life in the flesh no longer for the lust of men but for the will of God. That is your goal in in striving after Christ is to live according to the will of God. John would say it this way in 1 John chapter 3. We know that when Christ appears we will be like him because we will see him just as he is and everyone... Everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Don't long for heaven passively. Because if you long for heaven passively, according to John, you're not really longing for heaven. If you have a hope fixed on Christ, you purify yourself and your life by putting away sin and pursuing that which pleases the Lord. Because you see Christ as your great prize. You see him as the righteous Savior, and you want to be righteous like your Savior. Spend the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer pursuing the lust of men. We could spend a lot of time talking about the lust of men, and we will a little bit in the next few verses, but just think about that. Spend your time in the flesh not living according to the lust and the pleasures and the passions and the things of this world because they will never satisfy. They will never measure up to the fullness of the glory of the hope that you have in Christ. So ask yourself one simple question. Does my longing for heaven produce holiness in my life? Does your longing for heaven produce holiness? Because if it doesn't, what heaven are you longing for? 
if your longing for heaven doesn't cause you to put away sin, what are you really desiring? It's not the fullness of the perfection of the glorious presence of the Lord, because if that's your goal, you will strive after that goal. Now, just for a brief moment, I want to think about that last phrase in verse 2, that we live the rest of our time in the flesh for the will of God, for the will of God. We, we live in an age where those in evangelicalism, those, those in Christian circles, you might say, can, can often kind of push back on the idea of sanctification and the need for practical daily holiness, the need to conform your life to Christ. They will dismiss that idea. They will overly qualify it or overly caveat it. They will even argue against the teaching for practical sanctification. But what does Scripture say? We're talking about holy living. So what does Scripture say in light of this idea that we are to live for the will of God? 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So if you are to live for the will of God, you are to pursue holiness. You are to pursue being set apart from the things of the world. You are to pursue putting to death the things of the flesh. Paul would go on to mention many different things there. But it's the idea that you put off the flesh, that you put on Christ and you live in a Christ-like manner by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the important part, is that we live in a Christ-like way to please and honor the Lord in the power of the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is God's will, your sanctification. So we pursue holy living in a hostile world by being set apart, by arming ourselves with the purpose of Christ, but keeping with this idea of being holy, of being set apart, of being consecrated. Looking at verses 3 through 5, we can also see that we are to be set apart in depth, in detail, be set apart from the evil of the world. Peter writes, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they're surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And just for a second, do you pick up on the urgency of Peter here? Verse 2 and verse 3, he uses the word time, the, you're to live the rest of your time, no longer according to the lust of men, but for the will of God, and the time already passed is sufficient. He, he's got time on his mind. He knows that the Christian life is but a small amount of time. He knows that we do not have much time on this earth to do and to accomplish the plans that the Lord has set out for us. And on one hand, friends, we thank God for that limitation. When you think again of the hardships of life, how weary we can grow as we suffer in the, in the matters of life, 
you thank God that, that this is only temporary, that it's only passing and fleeting. That's a grace of God that, that he helps to take our perspective and set it eternally because the difficulties of life will overwhelm you. But also consider in this context that, that we only have a specific certain amount of time to go out and preach and proclaim the gospel because there are souls who are lost and dying and going to hell. Those souls only have a certain amount of time on this world. We only have a certain amount of time. So may we be persistent. May we have that perspective and have a sense of urgency to proclaim the gospel. To preach Christ. To pursue holy living. It needs to be urgent. We, we need to take great pains to, to grow in these things. We need to make much effort to preach and proclaim Christ as the only hope for eternal life and the forgiveness of sins. Now look at what Peter says here. He says, The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentile. The time already passed is sufficient for carrying out sin and fleshliness. Let's understand exactly what he's saying here because some would twist and pervert this to, to kind of wink at sin, to, to kind of say, see, even Peter, he kind of talks about it as though it's not a big deal. The, the time past is sufficient. So you went and you, you, you did your thing. You, you lived in your sin for a period, but you've done enough of it. That's not at all what Peter's getting at here. What, what Peter's saying is the time that you spent in sin is enough. It's enough. The time that you have spent living according to the lust of the flesh is far greater than it ever should have been because every sin was laid upon Christ if you are in him. So the time already passed is sufficient. The time that the pagans live in the flesh is more than sufficient to earn God's eternal wrath. Rather than being a, a light-handed comment, this is a heavy-handed comment where he wants us to see the depth of sin and its offense to God that what you've already done, not to mention the rest of your life, but what you've already done is sufficient to earn you eternity in hell. Enough. You've spent enough time in sin. Now pursue Christ-likeness. Pursue Christ-likeness. And then Peter goes on, he says, the time is enough to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. You guys know, I think, that I am always intrigued by lists of things in Scripture. List of sins or list of things that we are to pursue. We know that these things are never exhaustive. And so when you see something like this, you just kind of want to pause and, and pull back and think, what is the author getting at? What is the Lord getting at with, with what he puts before us? What's described here is those lustful, passionate, carnal, fleshly, unrestrained sins of those who are not in Christ. It's this idea of those who just are given wholly to immorality and drunkenness and partying it's it's those who really just revel in and celebrate sin it's an apt description of the world around us is it not 
world, they just, they celebrate. Literally, we just finished June, which the world has set apart to celebrate the sin of homosexuality. The world celebrates sin, and as we've seen in the last seven to ten days, the world mourns righteousness. When our Supreme Court makes a God-honoring decision to overturn one of the most evil laws the world could ever know, the world mourns it. They're given over to carnality and fleshliness. They're given over to their desires and their passions. And, you know, we, we can stop here and remember that we are all, in a way, given over to those. You know, maybe it was lesser sins that you were given over to before Christ. But nonetheless, all sin is an offense to a holy righteous God. If you break the law in but one place, you are guilty of breaking the entirety of God's law. And Peter says, enough. He says, the time past is sufficient. Move on from your sin. Put it to death. When temptation comes, flee from it. When Satan comes knocking at the door to entice you to give in to a desire of the flesh, Flee with all the strength and speed you have. Run back to Christ. Run to the truth. You, you remember how Jesus responded to temptation. When, when he was in the wilderness and Satan was showing him all these things and tempting him, Jesus responded with Scripture. So the time for you to run into these excesses and to, to give in to these acts of carnality and fleshliness and passion it's enough. Put those things to death by walking in the Spirit, by living according to the Word of God. And so what happens when you do that? What happens when, when you say with the Lord, yes, enough, and you put to death that sin? Look at verse 4. And all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation and... They malign you. The world is shocked and offended when we don't celebrate sin. Because sin is the God of the world. The world loves to please themselves. They give themselves to the desires of the flesh and only the flesh. And so when you don't do that, they're offended. They're shocked. But their offense, dear friends, will turn to action. The world does not just see that you hold to righteousness and then say, okay, well, that person's marked off as a Christian. We're going to leave them alone. No. Peter says they see this, they're shocked, and then they malign you. They slander you. They attack you. They come up against you. That's what those who are given to the flesh do. But let's remember and let's strive that it never be true of us that most people in general even those in Christ who are still battling the flesh, when you hold them accountable for one of their favorite or pet sins, they very well may respond like this. They're shocked that you would hold them accountable. They're shocked that you would think that about them, that you would, that you would consider what they're doing sin, and then they go out and malign you because they hate you because they don't want to repent. May that never be true of you as a follower of Christ. When you're confronted with your sin, be like King David and repent. 
fall on your face before the Lord and repent and turn from your sin. The world will hate you and malign you. They will blaspheme you and revile you and they will speak all kinds of evil against you. That's what Jesus promised. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely slay all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. That's the command of Christ. Rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. Peter will go on to say, I think kind of in a similar vein, verse 5, that they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Those who hate you and malign you for living righteously, Peter says, will give an account. They will be judged. And while I think we, we can clearly see in the Psalms that, that an imprecatory response, a response desiring God's justice is can be righteous, and it can certainly be biblical because it is literally in the Bible. But I want to warn you, let's be careful with that because your flesh can quickly take that righteous response of desiring justice and twist it and pervert it and make it something it shouldn't be. So when you see this, that they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead... Remember that it's the Lord who defends, it's the Lord who vindicates, and he doesn't ask you to defend yourself or to vindicate yourself. He commands that you preach the gospel. He commands that when the world lives out their worldliness, you go and show Christ. You leave room for the wrath of God and you show Christ. Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So you see this, you hear that the Lord will judge the living and the dead, even those who attack and malign and slander and revile and blaspheme you. You love them. You pray for them. And then you go show Christ in the way that you interact with them and you tell of Christ when they give you opportunity to speak. So we must pursue holy living in the hostile world by being set apart. By, by being set apart from the evil and the vile wickedness of the world. That is how we showcase Christ in our actions and then we preach Christ with our words. We give that defense that we looked at a couple weeks ago of the hope that is in us. And when we abstain from evil, we know that the world will hate us and we must arm ourselves with the purpose of Christ to obey him even if it means death. So now we come to verse 6 and kind of, kind of a, a great summary, I think, for what we've seen. We, we see that we are saved by the power of the gospel. We, we see the power of the gospel. In verse 6, he says, For the gospel has been for this purpose preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. This is the ultimate grounding for the Christian who desires to live a holy life in a crooked and perverse generation. The ultimate grounding is that you have the hope of the gospel. 
The gospel has been preached to you, and in the grace of God, you have responded in faith and repentance, and you are alive in the Spirit. You're alive now in the Spirit, and the Lord will keep you alive in the Spirit until he brings you home and and lets you enjoy the fullness of that life for all eternity. In life, there is much hardship. Living the Christian life will result in many battles. We must strain greatly to defeat sin. We must put on spiritual armor and fight spiritual battles. But dear friend, do so knowing that when you suffer in the flesh, when you ultimately suffer in the flesh and die and go to be with the Lord, that you have a reward waiting because you are in Christ. You are alive in the Spirit according to the will of God. You were dead in sins, but you're made alive together in Christ. Turn with me. Think about this idea of being dead in sin but alive in Christ. Turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You may not even need to turn there to to follow along. Verses 9 through 11, uh, a well-known statement here from the Apostle Paul. He writes in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, He said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. All of those listed here, Paul says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They are set apart and marked out by God to be objects of wrath. But Paul continues, verse 11, Such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. We talked about being set apart from the evil and the wickedness of the world, and we do need to do that. We do need to pursue that. But dear friends, we must remember that such were some of you. Such, really, were all of you. If you are in Christ, you belong in that list of sinners because you were a sinner and you were on the course not to inherit the kingdom of God, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. The Lord did this work to save you, and you cling to that as your hope. You cling to that as your hope when difficulties, when trials, when struggles abound, when the world hates you for pursuing righteousness, when their vile wickedness comes up against you and attacks you, you remember that such were some of you, but you were washed by Christ. There's a sobering, I think, reality in Peter's words in verse 6 as well. He says that the gospel has been preached even to those who are dead that though they are judged in the flesh as men to be judged in the flesh as men does not speak of God's judgment eternally but it speaks of the judgment of God on all men 
and that because sin entered the world, all men will die. Your flesh is not immortal. Your, your flesh will not live on forever. You will die. Everyone will suffer death in the flesh. Peter doesn't dwell on that death. He says that they've suffered death in the flesh as men. They're judged in the flesh as men. But they live in the Spirit according to the will of God. They live in the Spirit. They're made alive in the Spirit. You will die. Your life on this earth will come to an end. But praise God, you are alive in the Spirit forever and ever. How do we respond to the fact that death awaits all of us? I think it's with sober-minded humility, with our eyes fixed on eternity. If you're already in Christ, you're already alive in the Spirit, and you should live humbly in light of that fact. You should take your eyes off of the temporal, take your eyes off of the present, and lift them and see Christ at the horizon of eternity. And then you run with perseverance. You fight the good fight. You wage the good and proper warfare. And you run. And you don't take your eyes off the Savior. We also must remember that there's even a a judgment that the Lord carries out upon his children. a A type of judgment. And that he chastens the ones whom he loves. If you walk in sin, the Lord will discipline you. Hebrews 12.10 says that he disciplines us for our good so that, so that we may share in his holiness. The Lord disciplines. He does judge sin even in the here and now, and he disciplines you so that you may be made holy. He disciplines you so that as you walk your course in this hostile world, You might be made like Christ. So may we live the rest of our time in the flesh, not according to the lust of men, but according to the will of God. May we pursue not worldly things, but those things which are good and honorable and just and right. May we deny ourselves Take up our crosses and follow Christ. May we walk by the Spirit, filling our minds with the truth that the Spirit reveals in the holy words of Scripture. May we arm ourselves with the purpose of Christ. Christ came to complete the plans that the Father had ordained for him in eternity past. May we arm ourselves, may we take upon ourselves those same purposes to fulfill the plans the Lord has for us. And to do that, we must be holy. We must pursue holy living in a hostile world. We must make that pursuit flow out of a devotion and a love for the Lord. And we must do those things in the power that God supplies through the Holy Spirit. So, dear friends, may we pursue holiness. May we be set apart from the world so that we honor and glorify the Lord even when we're hated for the sake of righteousness. 
Walk by the Spirit. Purify yourself just as He is pure. Run with endurance with your eyes fixed upon the prize. And praise the Lord. It is an eternal prize of glory and perfection in heaven for all eternity with the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you.